You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Good morning. A couple more weeks, we're going to need to get uh, some different heaters out there. Don't worry, those are in the mix. Uh, but it still feels like nice and beautiful weather here. Short sleeve weather, at least for some of us. Some of you Arizonians, this is like 25 degrees, so I apologize. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning for the sermon. And some of you guys love different and change, and some of you don't. Let's be real honest. So I wanted to give you a heads up so you can start preparing yourself for something a little bit different. Don't worry, nothing crazy. Just a little bit different for what the sermon will look like this morning. I'm, it's going to start with... Uh, setting the scene, I'm going to tell you a story, an ancient story, and I'm going to lead us into the scripture. It's the year 44 BC. It's the year 44 BC. And in the Roman Empire, there's this growing concern that Julius Caesar is gaining too much power and control. The different senators of the empire are now kind of conspiring together, at least 60 of them, to take him down. They have this grand meeting in 44 BC where there's all these senators and Julius Caesar is there. And two senators particularly, Cassius and Brutus, they are the ones that are going to play the main role. And over that weekend, they assassinate Julius Caesar. They take his life. Immediately now, the empire is thrown uh, into chaos. Civil war breaks out. And now people are fighting, men are fighting over control and power of the empire. Cassius and Brutus are kind of on a team. They're, they're wanting to take control. And then some other people, some other players come on the scene. Uh, Octavian and Mark Antony. And Octavian would later be known as Augustus, Emperor Augustus. And Octavian and Augustus meet Cassius and Brutus for battle two years later in 42 B.C. It's the Battle of Philippi. In Philippi, that some, uh, some scholars would estimate there was 200,000 troops present. And they battled back and forth, and eventually Cassius and Brutus were defeated by Augustus and Mark Antony. This, in a sense, in many ways, uh, ended the Civil War, at least brought it close to an end. Now that the war is ending, there's this new town, Philippi, that they were battling in that they wanted, Rome wants to take control of to make it one of their colonies. And so they leave behind all these veterans from the war in Philippi. All these veterans stick behind, these expats. And they reside there and begin to form and build this colony of Rome, this outpost, Philippi, that was this connecting city across the empire, across different regions. Ten years later, when Augustus becomes emperor over Rome, he sends more veterans there. Now the city is overrun with them. Many would call Philippi in the ancient world like a mini-Rome. It had the same customs and practices. It was a really patriotic city. Uh, it was known that at all of the public events of the city of Philippi, they would give honor to their Lord and Savior, Caesar, Caesar Augustus. Every time they would gather, they'd give honor, like a pledge of allegiance we do, like at school or in different events. Fast forward a hundred years. There's this guy named Saul. He's killing Christians. We learned about him a little bit last week. 
and he has this encounter with Christ. His eyes are open that Jesus is the king, the long-awaited king. He's the Messiah, the savior of the world. And he spends years reflecting on that, figuring out what does this mean now for the scripture, the story that I've been a part of, that Jesus is the hero. Then he begins these missionary journeys all over the world where he takes this group of people, this little uh, group of disciples with him, and they go from town to town, demonstrating, declaring the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is king, not Caesar, that his kingdom is coming and his reign has broken into the present. And it's pervading both human hearts and all of human society. One day, Paul, on one of his journeys, he uh, gets a bunch of misdirections, like if you're on driving with a Google, Google Maps. Google Maps is not very helpful sometimes, let's be honest. Maybe Apple Maps, I should say. Google Maps is way better. But he, like you're driving, you keep on getting misdirected. This is kind of what happened to Paul on one of his journeys, and he ends up in Philippi. And when he gets to Philippi, uh, he goes down with his friends to a river to pray outside the city gates. They had, they had a river outside the gates. And he goes down there, and as he's with his friends at the river, they begin praying to Jesus. And there's this woman there named Lydia. She was a businesswoman, a leading businesswoman, and she sold purple fabric. And Lydia was a God-fearer, it says. And she heard Paul and the disciples praying to Jesus, and she realized this is the one she's been waiting for. In that moment, she becomes a Christian. She's baptized, her and her entire household, maybe in that same river right there, maybe the same day. A couple days later, Paul is walking again to pray. This is a theme in Paul's life. And as he's going to pray, he hears this, this young girl crying out, these are servants of the Most High God. This girl was, a, was demonically possessed. And she was giving great profit to her owners because she could tell the future. She was being exploited on behalf of whoever owned her. And Paul, one day, after hearing this several times, he's like, I've had enough of that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come out of her. Immediately, she's healed. Well, this kind of upset the people that owned her. Now she can't tell fortunes like she did before. Uh, she can't be exploited like she was before. And so they bring Paul and Silas and the leaders in front of the officials of the city and say, these men are disturbing our town. The officials agree. They have Paul and Silas flogged, brutally beaten, and thrown in jail. Midnight, that same night, Paul and Silas, like all of us would be doing after being brutally beaten and flogged, are praying and singing songs, praising God for who he is. At midnight, the, there earth, an earthquake takes place and their shackles are broken and the doors of the jail are opened and they begin to walk out. Well, the jailer's passed out. The jailer wakes up and realizes that the, the gates have been opened and he knows his life is gone. He will, he will be killed the next day. So he takes his own sword and begins the process of wanting to take his own life. And then Paul cries out, stop, we're all here. We haven't left. He says he comes trembling before Paul and Silas and says, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized, you and your household. And that very night they were baptized. And that very night they had a feast in the jailer's home. Over maybe a couple of weeks, a church has been born in Philippi with a leading businesswoman, a demonic slave girl, and a jailer. This picture from the beginning of the highest and the lowest of classes living together as a family of servant ambassadors is on display. 
Ten years later, Paul finds himself in prison in Rome, awaiting his own trial. And he begins to write letters. He has a scribe that comes to the prison, maybe stands outside the the prison wall or gate, and he hears Paul talk and do all those run-on sentences that you're familiar with as he's reciting what he wants the churches to know. And so Paul is writing one of these letters to a scribe, and he has a guy named Epaphroditus there uh, that is going to take this letter back to the church of Philippi. So for a moment, just, just right now, imagine we're this church, this little church in Philippi in a very nationalistic city where Caesar is the claim is Lord and Savior. And we're gathered in Lydia's home. She would have had probably a pretty big home, a villa. And we're going to hear from Paul as he instructs us as God's people. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with all joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in every knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial, imperial guard and to everyone else, that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers who have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfishness and ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead my, to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith 
so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about what you are I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. If, then, there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do not bring out selfish, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as, some, as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, at, every, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I don't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service for your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else, like-minded, who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon also. But I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier as soon as your messenger and as as well as your messenger and minister to my need since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard he was sick indeed he was so sick that he nearly died however god had mercy on him and not only on him but also on me 
so that I might not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for what was lacking in your ministry to me. In addition, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a, a born Hebrew, if Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then... My dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown. In this matter, I stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Euodia and I urge Sacanthi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers who, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. I know how to make... uh, In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my, my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have every abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send their greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's turn to some groups right now. You just heard God's word. You heard a letter that was written thousands of years ago to a particular church and particular people that still speaks to today and is, is calling for us to be shaped by it. So turn to some people. As you heard the letter read by Stacia, what's a theme that grabbed your attention? What is something that maybe God is stirring in you or stirring in our church that we might need to see from this letter as we seek to be faithful in our time and place as this church was seeking to be faithful in their time and place? And then I'll call us back. All right, let me call you back. I'd love to hear from you. What's something from this letter that grabbed your attention? Maybe for some of you, a really familiar letter. For some of you, maybe not as much. What's something from this letter that maybe is speaking to you today or, or wanting to shape us as God's people in our time and place? What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, joy is like something that needs to be cultivated, like... It's a habit that needs to be formed. doesn't just spontaneously happen in us. And the suffering is really interesting about the church. If you look in the book of Acts, as we, we were last week with the story of Saul, the church is multiplied or sent out based on, on suffering. The experience of suffering, the church is multiplied. God's people in Egypt, in their oppression, became the catalyst in which God's, uh, his message, his liberation was sent out. Really good. What else? Yeah, David. Yeah, 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 yeah. So David was saying that uh, he's read through Philippians a ton, but never in one sitting. 
I can totally resonate. How many of the parts of the Bible we've never actually read through the whole thing? But that would have been really common. It only took us 10 to 15 minutes. But that letter would have been not put down in piece by piece. It would have been read, maybe performed even, in front of a group like this. Because it's a letter, right? You don't just stop halfway through a letter you get. You read the whole thing. Maybe an encouragement for us as we look through the, the epistles, as we're reading through as a church, to read through an entire epistle in one sitting. We'll take you maybe 10 to 15 minutes as we get some of the shorter ones, especially in the weeks to come. And the themes he brought up was humility and encouragement. Even the humility of Christ, think of that in contrast with the empire that they're in. Of Even Caesar's, the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome came through force. And yet the kingdom here is, is quite different in what Jesus is bringing. Anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, Stacia. So good. Hope you guys heard that. Uh, in the midst of suffering uh, that Paul's experiencing, Stacia said he breaks out into poem. Philippians 2, right? He breaks out in, like, in song because he's so inundated in this story that his suffering has so much meaning because it's connected with the suffering of Christ. He breaks out in poem and song and art. And she would say, hey, what if that was our response on our own suffering and pain? Because we are so connected to this story and the, and the suffering of Jesus that we, uh, we find a, that a great privilege to suffer alongside him. It brings creative things out of us. Anything else that comes to mind as you look at this letter for us as God's people? Yeah, Ben. Yeah, so good. It's a relational nature of the letter. It's, uh, I was reading some stuff this week on Philippians. It's, it's in the form of a friendship letter, an ancient friendship letter where uh, you would write to a friend. And we don't think, of, don't think of friends like today, which are very flippant and they come and go, but like a deep bond, a commitment to one another and for the sake of a common goal. So he's writing this letter out of a deep heart of friendship and love for this church. But then he names, Ben said, specific people. These aren't just ideas for us to grasp but they were embodied within a particular community. He names two women that have some kind of conflict. He names Clement. He names the gifts that they received. He names Epaphroditus and Timothy, these two messengers. These are real people in a real place embodying the gospel, just like you and I are real people in a real place seeking to embody the good news in our cities. Anything else that comes to mind before I lead us to the table? Did you guys hear that? The middle of the letter is this V-shape of Christ's ascension and then ascension. Uh, then Epaphroditus and Timothy follow the same pattern with their lives, of laying their lives for the sake of others. Thanks, Chris. That leads us well into communion this morning. Each week we come to this table to remember that we are citizens of the kingdom, not of any other empire, whether it's Rome, the United States, or some other place. We are citizens of the kingdom. And the way of this kingdom is not through grabbing power or holding authority. The way of this kingdom is through service. And we're given this model by Jesus, the ultimate servant who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that now every knee should bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And so when you come to the table each week, we come in that, that V-shape of also recognizing that we are servants in God's story because we follow the ultimate servant. And so I'm going to uh, invite us to the table here this morning to take our place as servants in God's story, to follow and have a pattern of our lives after Jesus who died and resurrected, who gave his body and his blood for you and me, for us to experience forgiveness and healing and freedom so that we might be sent out 
as the servant people to showcase to our world what it looks like to know Christ Jesus, our King, and to live in this kingdom. So Sarah and Chris Hamilton are going to be serving communion this morning. I would invite you to stand. We're going to recite this morning the mystery of our faith, which we do each week. The past, present, and future aspects of this table that we're invited to each week, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's say it together, and then you can come and eat with the King. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Come and eat with the King.